Authority Labs Live, conversations with the top SEOs, community managers, content marketers, and thought leaders in the digital marketing space. Join us to learn more about optimizing your online presence. And welcome to Authority Labs Live. I'm Michelle Simpson Ross. I am part of the team at Authority Labs. We are joined by Melissa Fash, also of Authority Labs, and Eric Enga. Hey, Eric, how are you today? Good. How are you guys doing? And we we're doing well. And we're going to be talking about rich snippets, the Google Knowledge Graph, all that kind of good stuff. You guys had a great study published back in October about this, so we want to talk about it. But before we do, I'm going to hand it over to Melissa. Okay. Hey, Eric. Well, we're going to kind of start off basic for some folks that may not know what rich snippets and the knowledge graph are. Would you want to kind of break that down for people? Sure. I'm going to uh, see if I still know how to do screen shares in uh, in Google Hangouts. And uh, I think it's uh, stayed more or less the same. It has, thankfully. Uh, oh, I got to do it the right way though. So I'm going to push a couple of windows up to give people some examples. Uh, so here, uh, hang on one second. Here is an example of one screen, which is not a featured snippet, because I want people to see, uh, but it's meant to be an example of some of the things that Google does. And there's two kinds of things that they do where they push um, data or some sort of information above the normal search results. And I deliberately started here with how many quarts in a gallon. And you see they answer the question directly. And this is um, what they commonly refer to as information coming out of the knowledge graph, okay? So that's not an example of a featured snippet, but it has something in common with a featured snippet is it shows up above the normal search results. So now I'm going to get you another screen, um, and we'll show you. All right, I got to get a stock screen sharing. There we go. It's uh, mechanics, you know. Got to learn how to use these things. All right. Uh, uh, I'm going to get an example featured snippet for people to look at. Oh, that doesn't do it anymore. Uh, they also change these things a lot, so it's a uh, uh, sometimes a little tricky to find one. Uh, let's see. Okay. So here is an example of a featured snippet. Uh, I'm going to push that. There we go. So in this case, you once again see something above the search results. But the difference is that this information is extracted from somebody else's website. In this case, it's macworld.co.uk. The question was uh, reset iPhone. Actually, what I said, I typed it in as how to reset iPhone. Google remapped that to just a simpler query. Um, and, uh, and you see they are presenting an answer, but it's been extracted from a third-party website. Uh, and you'll note, of course, that they, they've linked to the website. So that's, that's featured snippets in a nutshell. Okay, great. Okay, so based on what you've shown us so far, rich snippets or featured snippets are basically um, how-to or information that people need, right? Yeah, it's true. Uh, there's a variety of types of questions that might be covered in a featured snippet. How-tos is definitely one of the more popular ones, um, uh, but it could be a question like, uh, who is uh, the president of the United States? Or what is the capital of uh, Washington State? Uh, oh, that, sorry, capital of Washington State would probably, actually both of those might come from the knowledge graph. So sorry about that. So, but questions, it can be what questions, uh, what's the best restaurant near the Eiffel Tower? Maybe that will come out of a featured snippet. Uh, so th there are more than just how-to questions that are covered by this. But uh, they're usually fairly discrete questions that can, can be answered with a bullet list of, you know, four, five, six, eight bullet points or a single paragraph or so. 
Okay. So based off what you were just kind of saying, if um, a website owner wanted to get featured or their content, hopefully to get featured, what would you recommend? Oh, that's that's the million dollar question. You went right to it. We're, we're eight minutes in. You're uh, there. You go. Uh, we, may go around, we may go around that question more than once. Actually, so Michelle, what I'm learning here is that Melissa's impatient, um, <laughs> as if I didn't already know that. But anyway, um, so um, yeah, basically. The way you get a featured snippet comes down to a few simple things. One is identifying uh, a very simple, uh, straightforward question of some sort that is common in your market space. Um, so that's part of it. Then you've got to craft a very simple, straightforward answer. In you know, So imagine you have a clump of HTML that's that big. Somewhere on that web page in a very focused spot, you state the question and you provide the answer. So even though the whole page might be about the topic, the thing that you're imagining that Google would put in a featured snippet, you have to put in a very focused spot uh, on the screen. Uh, and it can be a bulleted list. Uh, it can be one that uh, uh, is just a single paragraph or something like that. But you got to make it easy for users and for Google to find. and that by itself doesn't guarantee that you'll get a featured snippet. It's also true that you, generally speaking, need to be in the, um, uh, you know, in the top 10 of search results already. Don't need to be number one, but you do need to be in the top 10 to, to be eligible for it. Um, so that's kind of what it comes down to in, in, uh, in a nutshell. Okay. And like website trust and what about like um, overall content of the site? You don't want to be having a different page with a different topic every, you know what I mean? Like going from flowers to dogs to cleaning your pool. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, some sort of focal authority is probably useful. Um, uh, you know, if, if your site is all over the map and is viewed as poor quality, you're not going to get a, a featured snippet. I know um, if it's been tagged by Panda, for example, um, uh, I, I heard a reference from one Googler suggesting that that meant you wouldn't get a featured snippet. Um, I, I want to be clear, though, that the way that was expressed, it wasn't necessarily a one-to-one, -one, like the featured snippet algorithm is checking the Panda database, whatever that might look like. It might not be quite like that, but uh, but I think the right thing to take out of that comment is if the page or the site is otherwise deemed by Google to be of low quality, then there's nothing you're going to be able to do to get a featured snippet. I think that's probably fair to say. Okay, great. Okay, so um, one thing Michelle and I talked about we, we wanted to clarify with people was the difference between rich snippets and knowledge graph. How would you... So, yeah, this is, uh, this is an interesting topic by itself. So, there, there is, there, there's parts of this where Google has actually got names for things, and there's parts where they don't. That's the interesting thing. Uh, so the featured snippets, as I showed, is when they extract information from a third-party website, and they show it above the regular search results. Then you have the concept of a knowledge panel, which is when they show something over on the right, where ads usually are. Um, uh, and then you have data from the knowledge graph, which uh, goes into those boxes above the search results, the same place where um, featured snippets goes. But as I understand it, Google doesn't actually have a formal name for those, uh, nor does Google have a formal name for the group of them all together. Uh, at Stone Temple Consulting, we like to call the entire group of things uh, rich answers or rich snippets, uh, but I typically go with rich answers uh, because what, but that's a, a Stone Temple name, not an industry name or a Google name. Um, and, uh, but what it says to me is it's really talking about that Google is showing some more information, uh, uh, you know, directly in the search results. I think Danny typically likes to, Danny Sullivan typically likes to call them uh, direct answers, but 
um, uh, you know, we we can have that argument uh, at some <laughs> other time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I think they're very useful. I mean, if you're looking up how to treat a bee sting or side effects of a medication, I mean, it's everything you want to know. Boom, boom. Yeah. You know? It, it is. But one of the things that's pretty interesting about them is that uh, a lot of the times uh, the uh, uh, featured snippets are incomplete. I'm going to try to pull uh, one of those uh, uh, up for you, show you what I mean. Oh, damn. I, you know, I hate it when they take them away. You know, they've been up there for a while and it's like, uh, okay. Uh, uh, let's see, maybe it's this way. And they're also a little bit finicky with how you ask the question. Yeah. Um, so, oh, I know where I can get one. Hang on, bear with me. Uh, I gotta, um, so, because it's worth, uh, it's worth showing people what they look like. Um, and uh, because when you have the right kind of uh, featured snippet, it can really help you drive more traffic. So I'm going to get one of those for you, just a second. Um, I'm actually pulling this right out of the uh, study that we uh, published. And unfortunately, it's a long article, so now I'm finding my way to uh to uh to this data so all right here's one i'm gonna screen share that so if we look at this one um so th this one the question is what is a rfp um uh and it, it, it's bad english it always bothers me when i use this example but um uh, for those of you who are grammar Nazis out there, it's not my webpage, okay? Um, <laughs> but in any case, what's good about this one um, is it, it asks the question, you know, the answer is, is provided in a fairly crisp, clean way. But then look at the title uh, tag, which shows up down here at the bottom. What is ARFP? Where to find RFPs and RFPs relevant? What's really great about this one is that it shows um, or that there's more information available on the web page. And this is one of the things that's really important about featured snippets. If you're trying to get one, um, you, you don't make a web page uh, where the featured snippet is the only content on the web page. Uh, so I, you know, gave you the, I kind of held my hand like that before and said, here's your web page. Um, and then there's your section with your uh, information you want to get a featured snippet. My designation of this being much bigger was deliberate. So it's very useful that there's a lot of additional content there. And in the example I just showed you, which was from a company called Confluent Forms, um, the way their uh, snippet was designed, um, it was such that um, it enticed people through to, to get more uh, traffic. Um, here's another one I'm gonna share with you now. Uh, which will show a different uh, uh, version of this. This is from a company called Steady Demand. Uh, and if you look at this, if you read it carefully, you see, gosh, it, uh, it starts kind of in the middle of the answer. Get circle scope, uh, so you have an easy tool for managing Google Plus cir circles. And then bullet point number three. So what happened to one and two? Well, two is obviously get circle scope. Uh, but you know, what's one? And then at the end here, you see four, but you know, it only shows the date, it doesn't actually show the entire answer. So this is one of many different ways in which Google um, shows actually kind of incomplete answers. Um, and if you're a website owner, this is a really good thing because it really entices the click through and increases the value uh, of the, uh, uh, you know, getting that featured snippet uh, for, uh, um, you know, for your for your own site. Okay, so I'm raising my hand because I have a question, if that's okay with you, Melissa. Oh, go for it. Um, so you're showing us that there are just little bits and pieces of content from a page, and you mentioned the title tag. So that makes me think, okay, are there actually schema markups and tags, and can we do some things on page that will tell Google, if you happen to decide to do this, here's, here's the little bit. How do we do that? 
Yeah. Um, so at, at this point in time, there's no indication that schema is uh, helpful in obtaining a featured snippet. Okay. Um, uh, I would really like them to implement the give me a featured snippet now, damn it, uh, schema tag. <laughs> um, I think it would be very uh, useful, but uh, um, uh, yeah, it's a common question that people ask. Uh, so, but the, the way you put your HTML together does matter. I mean, I keep going back to my hand drawing here, right? Here's your whole web page, and then you have a very focused part of the page. Doesn't even need to be at the top, uh, uh, and that can um, uh, that that answers the question uh, that you're trying to to get the featured snippet result for, and that actually it works really quite well um, uh, in in helping you do that. So here's one that I'll uh, I think examples are good, right? So here's one. Uh, oh, did I do that? Hang on. Yep. Um, so this is one where we actually ran an experiment. Uh, we we created five different web pages, and we went to pursue uh, featured snippets uh, with those pages. And the way we did that is uh, we came up with five common uh, SEO questions. Uh, one of them is, you know, how to implement the nofollow. Uh, and we, uh, I shot videos uh, around them, uh, answering the question. Then we did a transcript of the video. Uh, and by the way, the video content in the transcript, as I've suggested, was much broader than just the, um, um, uh, the, the direct question. So for this one, for how to implement a nofollow, uh, the article also talks about what does a nofollow do? When do you use a nofollow? Um, you know, so it's a much more in depth. But there's this one place in the article where you see what you see here, um, and Google uh, picked it up and uh, uh, gave us a, a featured snippet for it, which was very cool of them to do. Nice. And if I'm not mistaken, oh, yeah, sadly, it's no longer there. We, it, we, that's another thing about featured snippets. It's interesting. They do tend to come and go a little bit. Um, we had that for uh, uh, pretty persistently for nine months. Uh, I don't see it there right now. I just tried a fresh search uh, on it. Um, which is too bad, uh, but uh, give you an idea. After we put this content up, three days, and we had the featured snippet. That's how quickly it happened. Nice, but you are number one, even though the snippet disappeared. <laughs> uh, that's true. So it, the story is not that the, the ending of the story is not that sad. Very good. <laughs> uh, okay, so our next question for you is: Obviously, voice search is becoming a huge. Thing. Um, how are Siri and Cortana and, and voice search overall? Are you seeing the same kind of results versus desktop? Oh, nice way to put that. You know, um, our data, it was interesting. We, uh, it was uh, um, a year ago, October, I think we published our voice search study. And the interesting thing is what we found at the time is that uh, the Google app, when you did voice search in here, was more likely to come up with some sort of rich answer result than Google desktop search. Right. Uh, and correspondingly, uh, for Bing's Cortana, um, the voice search was less likely. <laughs> come up with a rich answer than their desktop search uh, than Bing. Um, uh, but um, the, the, the test we did then, and we've not done, we've not rerun the entire test since then, but the test we did then said that Google uh, was definitely the king of the hill in terms of the percentage of queries that they responded to. Uh, and uh, Siri was second, and Bing's Cortana was third. Um, 
That's in terms, just to be clear, in terms of responding with rich answer results. That whole commentary has nothing to do about the merits of those things as personal assistance. That's a totally different conversation. But in terms of providing these kinds of rich answer results, that's that's what we found. Great. Okay. Um, Michelle, you had a question, and I don't know if I've already asked it. Okay. Um, was I think it was about earning a knowledge box result. Is that right? I, we're like I said, we're we're kind of hitting bits and pieces of it as we go. Right. Um, one of the things because I did read the study that Eric's referring to, and I wanted I wanted Eric particularly to point out over the period of time that you've done these rich answer studies. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but you did one in the spring last year, and then you did it again in the fall, and you saw some differences just in how often a result is coming up. And I have a sneaking suspicion if you did it again right now, you'd see even more than you did. Um, in October, uh, right? The, tell us a little bit about that particular aspect of rich snippets and how more often they're showing up. Yeah, no, I'll be happy to talk about that. They, they actually have increased quite a bit of screen shared another screen here uh, about how many rich answers are there. Um, and there's a few different ways to measure that, to be clear. It depends on what you're calling a rich answer versus not. But what I am showing you is an apples to apples comparison. The dates are December 2014 and July 2015, as you can see, for studies that we actually published in February and October, respectively, because it's one thing to pull all the data. It's another thing to do all the analysis that goes into these studies. But looking at this, you can see an increase of uh, about 45% in the penetration rate of uh, the queries. And, let me explain this a little bit more. Uh, in December of 2014, we ran 855,000 different queries, uh, all of which we thought were relatively likely to generate a, um, a, a rich answer. So there are how-to questions. They're very straightforward. You know, how tall is the Empire State Building? Where is it located? Who is, you know, uh, Tom Brady's wife? Uh, kind of questions, um, uh, and uh, you know, so we went from 22% to 31% in a scant, you know, seven-month period of time. And I want to put this in perspective. If you go back to December of 2013, that number was probably zip zero zilch, right? Maybe you have to go slightly back before that, but. Um, that the rate at which this is growing has been phenomenal. So I agree with you, Michelle, if we were to try to do the whole thing now, I uh, again now, and we probably will rerun it uh, sometime in the next couple of months, um, uh, you know, to keep the measurement going of, where, of this growth, mm -hmm. uh, I'd expect this number to have gone up significantly once again. Um, and we are planning on redoing we have two versions. We have one that's focused just on voice search and then one that's more on, on this kind of uh, much broader data that I'm sharing, showing you here. Uh, and we're going to rerun them both uh, and uh, you know, see what we get. One question stuff. I got and I am getting a lot every time I tell somebody that we're discussing this particular topic, the first kind of question I get from just other SEOs and, and people in the in, in, um, digital marketing industry is, okay, yeah, but Google's notorious for testing something, discovering, eh, it really doesn't give us what we want and taking it back away, for instance, like um, Twitter <laughs> and, you know, rich Twitter results. I mean, we saw a lot of those in February of last year when they, you know, Twitter and, and Google inked that deal and then all of a sudden, Huh? Where we don't see those anymore, but we're still we're seeing a lot more of these rich answers. Um, a lot of people are going, yeah, but won't that go away like some of this other stuff? What, what's the likelihood that this is here to stay? Um, yeah, this is working for them. Uh, uh, I can tell you that I have enough conversations with uh, uh, Gary, however you pronounce his last name. Um, uh, it's something like Ish. Yeah. Uh, 
um, Hungarian name. Um, um, and uh, yeah, I've had enough conversations with him about about this. That, uh, uh, this is working for them. For Google, um, it's really all about success in in user engagement with stuff. And you know, it's funny. I mean, I know there's lots of people who think lots of different things about. Uh, Google and what their motives are and, and all that. And so when you tell somebody that, hey, it's about improving user engagement and user experience, say, oh, no, it isn't. It's about making more money. Um, but what they don't realize is those two things act, aren't actually separated. Uh, Google's revenue goes up as they succeed in getting more and better user engagement with their search results. They have lots of data that, that shows that. Uh, and um, and this has been generating a lot of great engagement for them. I know one of the things that they've talked about doing um, is uh, uh, putting together analytics data to show publishers that they get more traffic uh, from these things uh, um, because there's people who have questioned that. Um, and uh, uh, but, the, but they're very concerned about uh, helping the publishing community feel good about it, largely because um, you know, they themselves, they Google feel good about it and feel like it's giving them good results. So here, I, I'm gonna actually push another chart at you. So you're get, getting a million screen shares today. Um, we love them. There you go. So here's an example on the traffic side of things. Um, this is for the steady demand, uh, oh no, Confluent Forms one that I showed you. The how is ARFP one, and you can see on their analytics when they got the rich answer when they lost it. And by the way, this is traffic to that one web page, not the whole site. Uh, it was pretty noticeable, right? Uh, they definitely got a, a pop in traffic to that one page once they get the uh, rich answer. And then here, uh, assuming that it scrolled with me here, it, uh, it yeah, it looks like it did. This is from the steady demand uh, site. And you know you can see back around March 22nd, that's when they get the rich answer, and it was like popped, you know. Um, but uh, but I do get what they why you're asking, Michelle. You do have things that Google tries, but when they remove them, it's because it didn't work for them, mm -hmm. right? And this is working for them. They they are getting good results out of this, and um, uh, they're they're it's going to increase, not decrease. So. I think the other way to think about this is, given that that's the case, you know, what do I do as a, a publisher of a website? Uh, what do I do about that? And um, you know, it, what you do is you figure out how to get it to work for your advantage. And I mean, come on, this is a, a, a new SEO opportunity, right? Uh, the the steady demand one I showed you, they were ranking number seven before they got the featured snippet. Okay. Number seven, and their ranking didn't increase. They didn't go up to number one. They stayed in number seven, but they had the featured snippet. They didn't add any links, right? Right. Uh, they didn't have to do any fancy promotion or anything. Uh, they just had this block of content. Google decided to give them a featured snippet and went from number seven in the regular search results to a big honking box above the web search results. Well, that's a new SEO opportunity. And he just answered my question, why do businesses need to pay attention to these quote unquote super organic placement options? Yeah, super organic placements. That's a great phrase for it. Uh, uh, because, and, and, and you know, there you go. It's because you're going to get more traffic if you get these. Now, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. There are probably scenarios where Google might show uh, um, something, some data. Uh, or something from your website and show it. And maybe your traffic on that page won't go up in, in any direct sense. You may even lose some. I, I'm not gonna pretend that there, that doesn't happen some of the time, but the great majority of the time I look at these things, it's more like the charts I showed you before where where your traffic is going up. And, um, you know, which is great, it's great for people. Uh, but if you are working at systematically getting a bunch of these kinds of um, featured snippets in your business or your market space, what do you think is happening to your branding? Can't be bad, right? 
Right. I mean, you're the authoritative source at that point. Right. Uh, right. And, you know, you're uh, selected by Google to be more than just a search result. I mean, at least sounds like it has a good ring to it. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, is, you know, like 10 years ago, we all worked to try and gain trust through content and Q&A, you know, like we're the company to trust. Um, and then you'd have to try and rank with that information, which wasn't actually hard 10 years ago. But um, no, not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's much harder today to rank. Um, especially with local results and everything else. So I think when Google shows me a rich snippet, I tend to trust that site probably yeah. faster than I should. But it's like, well, if they've deemed this the appropriate answer, now if that's how I am and I look at websites all day long, people like my mom will just trust that website automatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And, and building trust is huge if you're open to convert. So to me, it's dumb to not aim to gain these placements, you know? Yeah, and I, I really think people, uh, you know, especially uh, if there are other SEO efforts have gotten to a point where, you, you know, those easy returns, you know, spend a uh, thousand bucks, make 10,000 or whatever the numbers are, uh, are no longer there. This might be that next frontier, you know? I mean, right. go take 20 of your uh, pieces of content and, um, you know, make some modifications to make them more likely to get a featured snippet. Uh, and if you succeed to 40% of the time, like we did in our experiment, we tried it five times, we get it on two pieces of content, right? Uh, uh, now you have eight featured snippets. This is, uh, this sounds like fun. Oh, true. Well, Good <laughs> just asked us a question and it kind of dovetails with some things that I've been seeing that are interested. So Keith asked, particularly in your study, did you measure only questions? Because you said that you were studying specific queries that you were most likely to get a, you know, a rich answer. Um, he asked, did you dig into other non-question type queries to see how many of them resulted in instant answers? Along with that, keep that in mind while I say this that I've noticed I'm getting a lot of rich results for things that aren't necessarily questions like um, I'm getting them for comparing certain types of products. Um, a friend of mine showed me a rich result for um, different ways to prepare eggs. But it seems like I'm seeing instances of more of these results for things other than just straight up direct questions. Michelle, I see it for recipes all the time. Recipes all the time, um, all kinds of just weird, odd things. I, like I said, it looks like Google is now pulling in data about products and comparing them side by side. But I'm noticing, therefore, like um, small pocket products. Like I, I did something that I wound up getting um, a comparison between a couple of different, like, sesame oil and something else and I thought that was really interesting it's like okay I was looking for information on can I substitute this thing for that thing and I get this comparison of these two products um, yeah you, you you do um so there you go uh yeah I mean here's an example compare apples versus uh oranges yeah, we're getting that. Thank you. The the versus type query. This thing versus that thing. I'm seeing a lot more instances of this show up. Yes, but to be fair about it, this really is a question. Yes, it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you think about it, um, all of the examples that you gave, Michelle, really are questions that we just you chose to ask without putting the question mark at the end of it and removed. So. You know, I mean, here I'm saying, can you compare apples versus oranges for me? That's the real question. I'm just, you know, we're in search speak, uh, abbreviating it. And, um, well, uh, we're not asking how, what, why. Well, but like, for example, I just typed in cooking black eyed peas. Okay. Mm -hmm. And. Um, essentially, I think what Eric is saying is we're just taking out the how, 
the how yeah. question. And they know that that's what we're looking for. So it kind of is a question. Yeah, it is. Because, I mean, the recipe is a great, great way to put it, Michelle. I mean, when you, you put in, you know, uh, uh, you know, making black eyed peas or whatever. Um, it, it, it really, you are asking, how do you make black eyed peas? Right. So um, I, I do think they, at the end, if you look at all the queries, um, uh, and, you know, you, you get uh, at the end of it all, there, there really is a question in there. It's just a matter of phraseology. Uh, so, um, Keith so, was asking, did you dig into any of those that weren't just, a, what kind of nuances as far as what types of queries were you testing for this one? So, um, I, I did say that we, um, uh, focused on things that we were like, thought were likely to trigger a rich answer, but, um, uh, the, the breakdown uh, is that we pulled half a million queries out of a combination of Google and Bing suggest. Okay, so you would go to uh, Google suggest, you would type how to A, and you'd see all the queries below there that it was suggested, or may, uh, maybe how to A B and all the queries and how to AC and how to AD. And, and you pull all those queries out. And we did that both King, uh, Bing and, uh, and uh, Google. And then for the remaining queries, um, we uh, built lists of things. So uh, uh, an example was that we built uh, a list of uh, a couple hundred uh, or maybe even a thousand famous buildings worldwide, like the Empire State Building or the Eiffel Tower. And, and then we framed sets of questions of round building types. So how tall is the Eiffel Tower? When was the Eiffel Tower built? Uh, who built it? Give me pictures. Well, it wouldn't be give me pictures. That's not a good example. But um, uh, so, uh, so imagine that we did that for buildings. And then we repeated it for famous people. Then we repeated it for movies. Then we repeated it for books. Then repeated for historical documents and historical events and uh, questions about countries. And we built all these lists. Um, and in the first study, the, the one that we published in February, but was uh, February of last year, but was actually the data was run in December 2014, that was 855,000 queries. The, the one that we published last October um, uh, was 1.4 million queries. We expanded it. The suggest queries were still only 500,000 queries. The other 900,000 queries were all these things where we literally manually paid a person sitting over that way. Um, not that it makes a difference to you all where they sat, sat. Um, but, um, and they spent you know, I don't know, many tens of hours just coming up with these lists of objects and then these question constructs around them, right? So for uh, a famous person, questions might be, when were they born? Do they have a spouse? Do they have children? Um, and then something about, you know, if they're a football player, what team do they play for? When's their next game? Um, uh, and uh, yeah, it was... Uh, a massive effort to build the question set. And it's it's funny because I, I have people uh, say, well, uh, uh, you know, why won't you release the question set to us? It's like, okay. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> it's massive. It, uh, we, we, we spend how many hundreds of hours, if it's not a thousand hours on this freaking thing. Right. Uh, and, you know, we're not going to throw it out in the wild and give it away. I mean, you know, it's crazy. But, Anyway, Eric, can you search something for me? Um, if you search bee stings, not treating bee stings, just bee stings. I'm wondering if you're getting the, um, I don't know even what you'd call that, that's off to the right. If you see the uh, same thing, I Yes, see. I do. So, okay. Uh, let's uh, show that to the world here. So, there we go. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, this is interesting. Um, uh, that. I know that Google's saying this is their new medical thing that they're going to be doing. Yes. 
Um, and all the sources are taken from different sites that they say they trust. But to me, it's like, it looks like huge opportunity. Uh, it does. So what's going to be different and what is different about this one, okay. other than the fact that it's on the right instead of above the search results, is, and you touched on it, uh, uh, Melissa, and that is that they are using uh, a seed uh, or a fixed set of trusted sites. Mm -hmm. That's not true with featured snippets, by the way. Any site can get a featured snippet. But medical, uh, yeah. Uh, but medical, it's like they don't want to give bad advice. Right, which is right. great. So okay. if they said, you know, that the cure to uh, a bee sting allergy was to have a drink of milk, uh, <laughs> and then the person, you know, died from it, they would be liable, right? right. They Potentially, right? It's argu I suppose it's arguable, but... Uh, um, you know, they're potentially liable and they, they can't have that. It's just too important to get medical things right. So, um, yeah, I've, chances are that this is from the Mayo Clinic or uh, WebMD that you see very high up there in the results. Mayo yeah. Clinic. Yeah, and that's one of them. And then if you click more about this condition, you can actually download a PDF, which is nice for people. Um, okay, so here's, here's interesting. While you guys were doing that, I looked it up on my phone. There you go. Here, it's showing up above the fold instead of off to the side. Yeah. The The interesting thing for me is if you Google treating bee stings, it's not there. But if you Google bee stings, it is. It's almost like they're almost there. <laughs> no, yeah, it's very touchy. The example I showed you before about uh, how to implement a no-follow, Mm -hmm. uh, if you ask that same question, how do you implement a no-follow, never showed up. Interesting. Okay, so that leads me to a question. Um, how is voice search playing into this? Because obviously when we hit that microphone button and ask our device a question, we're not going to phrase that the same way as if we – type it in at our desktop or even tap it in on our phone, the, the way we pose questions varies based on how we're entering that query into the search. Is there something, is that part of what's at play here, Eric? Uh, I, I, yes. The, uh, I, the way the question is constructed is a big deal. Um, and, um, you know, some of you see those examples that are uh, silly, like the one I just gave, the difference between how to and how do you. Um, there's no significance in the case of how to implement a nofollow. There's no difference from a human discernible point between those two questions. Uh, and you're absolutely right. When we're at the computer, human laziness comes into play in that we want to type less. When we are on this kind of device, Human laziness rules once again, because we don't want to think about how to not ask it in natural language. <laughs> we don't find speaking out our question, it's more effort for us to figure out how to shorten it than to just say it the way we would naturally say it. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, uh, you know, voice search is a part of this, and we really shouldn't leave rank brain out of the conversation here. Oh, please bring it into the conversation. Because... How to and how do you, I mean, there probably are scenarios where there's a difference between what how to and how do you means, but not for a lot of questions. And if you have an algorithm whose construct is to better understand language formulation and the true meaning of a query, then, um, uh, you know, it's going to work through those things. But the, what, what, uh, just a construct that, or a fact that most people might know, might not know, is that the, uh, why is there no instant answer for who is Eric Engo? I saw Keith. <laughs> I'm going to have words with you after this. Um, that was actually Keith Good that asked that. So let's get that straight. That was, that was a viewer question from Keith. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was, I was calling out Keith in return. It's like, okay, come on now. Funny enough, uh, we, but, we won't um, find it for you, but we'll find it for Mark Traphagen. Is that correct? Uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it might might happen. It's uh, um, uh, who knows. You, you'll have to try it while I'm uh, 
so yeah, uh, RankBrain is uh, um, built out, I'm oh, sorry, uh, featured snippets is something that's built out by a completely different team within Google. And if I'm not mistaken, they're actually based in Colorado. They're kind of separate from the main campus. So don't hold me to the Colorado path part, but I know they are separate from the main uh, campus. Uh, and they, they have at least initially been working fairly independently. I know that from some conversations I had. Um, I, I, that will, of course, begin to change. Uh, uh, and you'll see more integration. And I, I would be very much surprised if, um, you know, RankBrain didn't get involved in helping them uh, see through some of these language issues. Cool. Well, I have a question for you that isn't exactly related to this. Um, you're the SEO guy, I mean, from way back in the day, right? Eric SEO. And, and now been doing, you're... Been doing that for a while, yes. Right. Now you're kind of, we see you a lot more on social. There's a ton of video going on. I'm not asking you to, like, give away all your stuff. I'm just, I'm just wondering, what impact have you seen from, like, the increased videos versus content that you all have been doing lately at Stone Temple? So um, it's a multi-layered <laughs> answer to that question. Okay. Um, the it, SEO, uh, I, I mean, you guys have been involved in this for a long time too. It's like, uh, I mean, I, I remember when I launched a, a domain called online-motorcycle-parts.com. <laughs> And after seven days, I was number two for motorcycle parts in Google. Okay. Um, uh, and it was a, a, a different era. And then we, we've all lived through uh, something like 100,000 SEO is dead articles. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, it's the latest person trying to uh, get famous for what they thought was an article no one ever wrote before because they've never searched on it in Google and they don't know how to search in Google, um, <laughs> which is makes them very qualified to write about a topic like SEO and whether it's dead or not. But um, uh, so the, the environment has changed dramatically and it gets harder and harder to separate one aspect out of marketing, one aspect of marketing from another. Right, and SEO is an aspect of marketing, right? I mean, yeah, there's a technical aspect, you're gonna build your site, but let's face it, it's about getting customers or people to your website, that's a marketing activity, uh, even though there may be a, a lot of very technical aspects to it. Um, and uh, so th there's that part of the story. And the next part of the story is, we used to have this thing that everybody called link building, right? And some people that meant buying links and others it meant uh, uh, sending people emails. And there was the era where link swaps was king. And then there were article directories and uh, bookmarking sites and all kinds of ill-gotten ideas that made lots of people tons of money. Um, and, uh, uh, and it actually did. Yeah. But at the end of the day, now what's involved in getting links is inherently feels a lot more like old fashioned marketing, right? It's like, oh gosh, maybe I ought to focus on building my reputation and visibility and my brand first. Mm -hmm. And if I do that really well and I'm intelligent about it and I build relationships with influencers and I build relationships with major media that covers our space and uh, you know, we leverage you know, smart tactics to get in front of those people more cost effectively than our competition. Uh, our brand reputation visibility goes up uh, and all that old-fashioned uh, marketing celebration goes on. And guess what? In the process, you get better links, which still matter a ton to SEO. Uh, and, and so one of the very best ways to get awesome links to your website is to do really good content marketing and marketing. So I'm giving you a very long answer to your almost uh, uh, 20 second question. Um, but the point is that what we've discovered in the process of all this is that how you market yourself um, is a big deal. And so that's the reason why we do the videos that we're doing, our Here's Why videos that we release every Monday. Uh, we do have other videos that we do. Uh, we uh, um, have, uh, I'll give you a, 
a sneak peek announcement uh, on February 11th. Uh, I'll be uh, doing together with Mark and Gary Eish, uh, uh, our own special Hangout on Air event um, uh, as a... Uh, um, uh, so 1, 1 p.m. on uh, February 11th. Uh, so there you get the advanced announcement. Uh, all right. Well, um, and and this the link as soon as it's all set up, we will help promote that. Uh, well, awesome. We appreciate that. But um, so we're doing a lot of things to raise our visibility and uh, it helps in a lot of ways. Company's growing. We're at 55 people now. Wow. Um, and it also um, it drives our SEO. Guess what? Our SEO traffic keeps going up and up and up, right? Uh, it's not huge, by the way. SEO, uh, uh, I mean, it's a big topic area, but um, didn't really begin working on our website until 2011. It was a little late to try to get in the game and rule the term <laughs> SEO itself. But we're picking up high rankings on a whole bunch of other things like you know how to implement a no follow and stuff like that so cool uh, it's all I, part of a mix these days you know what i'm saying well in today's world i i mean like i my job partly is to find articles to share as you know i share your stuff um i mean, and, you appreciate it yeah um the content vomiting that i'm used to seeing um basically limits like all it takes forever to find 10 quality articles I mean, like, I, so I know when you publish, it's like, oh, <laughs> I don't have to work for that one. But so much is regurgitated and useless right. that um, it's nice to have something fresh. And I, I like the video aspect um, that you're doing. And, and your graphics are not boring. <laughs> well, well, you know, we, we got to a point now where we actually have a full-time graphic artist in-house. Nice. And that really helps us. Uh, uh, toward the end, before we hired uh, hired him, it was like, okay, now I've got to find an hour and a half <laughs> or whatever it is to deal with putting images together for this thing. And yes, I was smart enough to design the posts in a way that half of them were screenshots, but the other half, it's like, ah, I got to figure out how to make them look decent. And it's just so much easier to like, uh, have our guy's name is Chris. You know, Chris, come in and sit down and the table over here. So here's what I need. And later the same day, they come out and like they're so much nicer looking than anything <laughs> I could ever do. Uh, it's not me to be a graphic artist, but um, but yeah. Uh, and, and you know, to your point, and the whole topic of the comment content vomiting or what Mark Schaefer refers to as content shock. You know, so much content coming out. Um, you know, people have to stop producing so much content and worry about producing kick-ass content. Right. I'd rather yeah. once a month. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right, right. Well, and, and this goes back to what you were saying about um, video and everything else. I, I wanted to point out, I found it really interesting that the pages you developed to test whether you could even get a rich snippet result included video. So part of it, at least for me and the people that I talk to and the people that I work with is you need to think outside your text heavy content box. So video is content, audio is content, images are content. How are you creating content on your site that serves various learning styles even because not all of us want to sit there and read something. Some of us want to hear something. Some of us want to watch something. I, I find that aspect of it interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And uh, I mean, we're very heavily invested in video. Um, uh, you know, we have upstairs here, uh, a, a dedicated uh, a video room complete with two walls that are uh, covered in green screen, uh, green screen paint uh, and what's effectively a full-time video producer. So it's a huge bet for us in the grand scheme of things. Um, and, um, uh, you know, we're getting a lot of good feedback. Uh, um, uh, which is great, uh, but you know it's like anything else in the content marketing world, or you know the general 
process of building reputation is, you know, start today and, you know, hold your breath for a year before you expect to get much. Okay, don't hold your breath. That's probably not the right answer. <laughs> but um, be patient for a year while, you know, you wait to start getting the fruits of that. It, it's, it's not an overnight thing, you know. Yeah. And I've had a few people say to me at conferences, well, you know, I want to be well known. And I'm always like, focus on paying the bills <laughs> more than being well known. Because I know a lot of people that are well known and are broke. So, yeah. You know. Well, right. I mean, I think we've been fairly fortunate in that we've been able to manage both processes uh, in parallel. But if you can't do that, then yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Focus on paying the bills because uh, that reduces stress quite a bit when the yeah, bills are paid. It does. <laughs> now, can you? I know we're coming up on the hour mark. Can you tell us um, where you're going to be this year? Where people, if they wanted to meet you, or I'm going to be at the Connect Conference in uh, Miami at the beginning of February. I think it's fourth and fifth, and I'm going to be at PubCon uh, Fort Lauderdale. 24th and 25th, if I remember that right, yep. somewhere around then. Mm -hmm. And then uh, SMX West the week after that out in uh, San Jose. Uh, let's see, after that, what do I know? I know uh, SMX Advanced in Seattle, that's in June. And then a whole slew of stuff in the fall. Uh, MozCon is in fall this year, I believe. Uh, so... Uh, uh, they had convention center issues in terms of lining that up. Uh, and that'll be at PubCon Vegas, SMX East. Gosh, that's a few places uh, uh, that'll be. Um, uh, probably some others, but that's uh, a start. Okay. And do you want to mention any books or? A book? Oh, hang on. Yes, hang on. we need to mention the book. <laughs> of course. I see yeah. a nice picture on the wall. Uh, there you go. Nice. Uh, that's the third edition of The Art of SEO. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a small book. Okay, <laughs> I lied. 992 pages. Uh, together with uh, Stefan Spencer and Jesse Stricciola, uh, we updated it. It got released just a couple months ago, a few months ago now. I think it was October, uh, so it is brand spanking new. Um, uh, it has, you know, really most of the uh, uh, recent stuff in it, uh, and uh, very excited to, uh, that that's out there. And uh, okay, so if you show up at PubCon Austin, can I get a signed copy? <laughs> oh well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Why, yes, you can, because <laughs> I will, uh, when is PubCon? Uh, yeah, I'll be May at PubCon. May 3rd. Yeah, I think I will be there. And I always have, I always get some books sent to each conference, so. Or she can buy it on Amazon and bring it. See, I'm helping you here, Eric. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, but, but I have to get video of you signing it then. Uh, absolutely, happy to do that. So yeah, um, uh, yeah, books. Uh, it, it, the book has been a great thing. Uh, it was an ordeal to get the first edition out. The second and third edition were a lot of work. It wasn't an ordeal, but the first edition was literally an ordeal. Writing a book is not for the faint of heart. Yeah. You know. And by the way, uh, it won't help you pay very many bills. <laughs> really, all that work. Well, not directly, but the reputation gain helps you gain more clients, and that way it helps pay bills. But, you know, the royalty checks from a, a book, I mean, they're, they're small in comparison. So, I don't know many SEOs that don't have the book cover behind you on their shelf, though, so I guess I'm going to have to order the third edition, right? <laughs> there you go. Or I'm telling you, but either one of you come up to me uh, – uh, at one of the upcoming shows. If I uh, haven't given them away already, I'll definitely give you one. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and everybody can find you on Twitter at Stone Temple. That's correct. And um, I suggest everyone read the blog constantly. It's good information. 
And then well, you've got a whole case study section, which is fantastic as well. So. Yes, so thank, indeed. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. Absolutely, Melissa, Michelle, thanks for having me and uh, definitely look forward to seeing you at one of the upcoming shows. I'll see you in February. So Awesome. All right, Michelle. Join us again in two weeks as Tom Craver, the Director of Analytics at Acronym, and Jason White, the VP of SEO and Social Media Marketing at Dragon Search, take the hot seat to discuss schema markup. On behalf of the team at Authority Labs, thank you for joining us for this episode of Authority Labs Live. Mm -hmm.